You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. And here for, once again, my favorite podcast. And I'm sure everybody is happy to hear from you, their favorite lawyer. Is it is it your favorite podcast because it's your only podcast? Well, uh, no, I've been on other podcasts. I've been on other people's podcasts. I still consider myself a guest on your podcast here because there has been times when you had somebody else sitting in this chair and I used to be... We never sat in that chair, don't you worry. Well, in any event, you... <laughs> you you know what I mean. I mean, and I, and, I, and I listen to the podcast after we record it. I usually listen to it too because I I enjoy it. Well, that makes me happy. Um, I don't know if I'm everybody's favorite lawyer, but I did have a little bit of an ego boost today. Yes, and you went to uh, Garrett Oldie Secondary School. Yeah, and so how did that go? Well, I thought I was going to present to what I what I often do is go to law 12 classes and talk to, you know, grade 11, 12 students who are taking law about what it's like to be a lawyer and a little bit about the charter, you know, something current to what they're learning in class. And uh, that's what I thought I was doing. I was told 30 students in the class. I try to bring a small gift for all of the students when I go. I brought 30, 30. gifts. Yeah. And I get told, oh, we're going to do it in the library because another class is joining us. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, you know, I told the teacher, I don't have enough gifts, but, you know, it's it's high school. So there's probably enough students skipping from each class that it won't be a big problem. And then I get told, oh, another another class is, is joining us. And people have found out that you're here and they want to come. And there were probably like 100 students listening to me wow. in the library today. Well, they should they should uh, get you in the uh, in the gym or in the auditorium. Kind of felt like, like that. that, yeah. Maybe you should <laughs> learn to juggle or something too. It's intimidating when you're in a small like a single class, right? You're not, you know, you're you've got the kids in the back that are paying attention in every class. You've got, you know, you've got the keeners who are asking lots of questions, but you can sort of focus on the people who are engaged with your discussion, but when it's a huge room of teenagers teenage girls are terrifying paul well i know that but they're like they're like laughing and whispering and i'm like i don't know if they're laughing at me or with me well or on uh, their own joke or at their own joke are they like inside joke that has nothing to do with she's you. so chuggy no it may have nothing to do with you it may have something to do with something entirely different in their lives yeah anyways super intimidating um but i i did it yep well, that's good. And so it was nice that all of them came out. Yeah, it was great. And I really appreciated I got tons of engaging, interested questions from lots of students. So hopefully I at least made an impact for some. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm sure they uh, are all going home now and uh, looking you up and maybe they're watching your TikToks. Well, this was apparently why a lot of them wanted to come was, was because they TikToks? were watching me on TikTok. And some of them came up to me afterwards and they were like, I follow you on TikTok. Can I take a selfie? And I just like died. I died, Paul. I was, oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Anyway, so this was my day. Oh. Star, Kyla. <laughs> yeah. Here you are with your podcast. You had uh, you had another thing this week too. You had the uh, APTN oh. interview, which was yeah. was really really big, and there was lots of discussion about uh, 
about your social media and the reasons for it. Um, and uh, you never mentioned the name of the podcast. Oh, sorry. And the other thing is they kept referring to you as an author. And yeah, you are an author three times over, but they only referred to your children's book. They didn't refer to that, which we've never really my even, best like, work. Well, your cross-examination book is still like in the, in the bestseller list at the, uh, uh, at the, uh, what's, what's the name of the publisher? Um, uh, escapes me now, but I was just looking at it yesterday. Well, anyway, ov- overall a good week and I'm capping it off tomorrow by crossing the border by car. You're going to the States. I'm driving across the border for my Nexus interview, but. You're approaching the border. Yes. On both sides. They, you have to know you're, <laughs> there are signs there that tell you to slow down and abide by the speed limit. You're saying I should do that? I think you should. All right, and that brings us to our first topic today, which is this car crash at the Canada-U.S. border um, near the Rainbow Bridge crossing. Yep, and I watched the video, and the first thing I thought was that the Duke boys finally didn't get away from Boss Hog. Yeah, it was uh, quite an intense video, but I thought we would deviate a little bit from like the driving law implications. I mean, it happened on the U.S. side. It's clearly dangerous driving, but the occupants of the car... Um, Both deceased. are deceased, so nobody's going to get charged. Um, there's been a very brief investigation. It's been turned over to the traffic section of the local well, police from the FBI. Yep, and the as they determined it was not terrorism. Yeah, I mean, I think the the police on both sides of the border have to sort of draw the worst conclusion on the Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, uh, when there's a you know. A, but conflict taking place and there is a difference and this is what i want to talk about there is a difference between the police drawing the worst conclusion and what we saw actually happen what do you mean and are are you talking about islamophobia or are you talking about pierre polievre standing in parliament suggesting that this was a terrorist attack and that the and that the prime minister is therefore responsible. Well, it wasn't just that. I mean, it was U.S. politicians, too, were tweeting out, you know, this is a jihad on Thanksgiving weekend. This needs to be investigated and taken seriously. And a bunch of people also blaming Canada and suggesting U.S. politicians blaming Canada and suggesting the border should be tightened in its security. Well, I mean, this is just a... uh, uh... A uh, symptom of the sickness that we've got right now, which is, uh, you know, uh, significant stupidity in the political world <laughs> where we used to have we used to have politicians and people who are in responsible positions. We didn't have the Marjorie Taylor Greens. We had people who actually, you know, understood their role as parliamentarians or, or congressmen or Senate senators, um, you know, understood their role uh, in government. And it just seems like. That has been lost, certainly on the right, um, not so much on the left. If you get to the, you know, even the 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 NDP will not make those sorts of extremist stupid uh, mm-hmm. questions. The extremist stupidity seems to exist in this sort of, um, was, what is it, Alex Jones, Jordan Peterson, um, QAnon world. Um, and this is this is where we are. And, you know, lots of people have theorized about how we got there. I don't think the Driving Lot podcast is going to, you know, break the break. You've heard it here first, yeah. folks. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be the ones who uh, figure out why right-wing extremism is so big. But I mean, of course, we've seen, uh, you know, new government in the Netherlands, a right-wing extremist just elected. Uh, Argentina, a right-wing extremist just elected. What's the impact for driving law? Uh, we could have a completely different podcast and we'll probably be invited to somebody else's podcast to talk about that. But 
Um, these are unstable times when we have extremist governments, um, and we've got a lot of extremists in government in the U.S. and Canada. But I made the point yesterday when you told me about Polyev's tweet, and then you stole it and made it your tweet, <laughs> which performed very well, and you're welcome to it. Um, but I'm reclaiming it here on the podcast for our, our all of we our four discussed it, and I changed it, and it was not. It was just our you and I have a lot of things where we think the same. Yes. Which is that it's irresponsible for elected officials to make broad statements condemning something as terrorism without having all of the information. And that never well, used and, to happen. And, and, and in Parliament yet. In Parliament. Like, actually in Parliament. Yeah. I know. Um, you know, you, you never would have seen that. It, was, it would have been considered undignified. You would never have seen Brian Mulroney when in opposition or in as as the prime minister say something that's stupid um he would have never no i mean it was just stupid like and and it and it's the type of thing that incites anger incites fear foments racism and this is what we're seeing uh you know in our parliament and it's it just feels like the you know the idiots got elected somehow Polyev has had a seat for a long time, so I'm not sure you can say the idiots got elected somehow. Well, he's been The elected. idiots have been there for a long time. Well, I know, and somehow he ended up the leader of the party. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, it's one of those things that just, to me, is mind-blowing. It is profoundly stupid, and I wonder if there's, like, a, a parliamentary procedure that could be used to, you know, censure that that type of statement or, 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 you know, make it clear that you can't just, before information is known, make allegations that are going to contribute to existing problems of Islamophobia, existing problems of just extreme tensions in the population. Like, people are so on edge right now. It's, it, it takes a hair to push people over the edge and get standing up in the House of Commons and saying, our border is, has been the subject of a terrorist attack. When you have no information. No, no information and no foundation for that. It's not like, it's and yes, not like he didn't say legitimate. it was a terrorist attack. He said that, that, you know, news reports are reporting, but it's no different. Yeah, it's, no it's it still legitimizes no. those reports, which only, by the way, came from Fox News. Exactly. Nobody else was irresponsible enough to say this was terrorism. Well, uh, CTV apparently did something, but that was after, um, made some suggestion there was a, and Polyevra was trying to blame AP or some, you know, candidate press or whatever. Um, it was just rubbish. I mean, he's just trying to, he, he's lying, actually. He's just, like, lying straight out to the Canadian people. And I will say the other thing, the other, like, problematic thing is that, you know, when we have these motor vehicle accidents and you have a driver who dies in them, you know, a lot of people are quick to sort of point blame at the driver um, whose driving conduct is responsible without remembering that there is a family, there are people who loved that person, who knew that person, who knew that they were probably a very, you know, like most people, complex, complicated individual. And you have no idea if it was a... You have a stroke? <laughs> you could have a stroke, but you, you, you also don't know if it was a malfunction. Yeah. I mean, we had... Uh, Audis in the 1980s had the gas pedal and brake pedal so close together that people launched them into pools, you know, hit, struck pedestrians. 
Some instances uh, of people in Tesla's driving into vehicles because of the weird pedals. Uh, people having their self-driving car take over and driving at high speeds and having to call the police and smash up their car in order to stop it. Yeah. You know, we've seen all of these things. You have no idea. And jumping to the conclusion, um, you know, in these circumstances, even, but so much worse, like it's just so much worse to suggest that it's a terrorist attack and stand up in Parliament and not say, you know, there's been a significant incident at the border, and I'm just hoping that the government will be forthcoming with whatever information they obtained. That would have been fine. Um, but, you know, to try and to try and weaponize this for the purpose of some cheap political gain, mm -hmm. um, at the same time uh, stoking the fire of racism and fear uh, in that space, our parliament, to me, was just... I, I will also say, like, when you make those statements, as a politician, you know full well that it doesn't matter if you retract them later, but there will undoubtedly be a much larger than we like to think section of the population who believe, who legitimately believe, that there was a terrorist incident that is now part of a Oh, yeah. Um, there's a significant portion of the population who are just uh, so suspicious of government, they don't believe it in any way, and they wish to disconnect from so themselves from government and not not part of the social contract at all, which yep. uh, um, probably is something that would allow us to move into maybe our next topic. I don't know if you want well, to talk about I was actually trying to set up the topic by talking about families and, and devastation. Oh, okay. And then you, you just kept going. And uh, so now just pretend that we had a, that really natural transition to this ne next topic, which is a case that got a lot of attention at the time that the incident occurred. It was a uh, cyclist. Um, Mike Starko is his name. And he was out riding his bike and a um, driver of a minibus uh, left his lane and hit the cyclist and killed him. 73-year-old driver. Um, and, um, of course, you're on a bike and you're in a risky position. And the provincial government has since even changed the legislation uh, with respect to this when there's a devastating injury. But. Yeah, so there was a guilty plea and, I guess, a sentencing in front of uh, Judge Solomon, by the sounds of it. Yes, and so the ultimate sentence that was imposed was a $1,500 fine. And I thought we would talk a little bit about sort of some of the concerns that are being expressed in the media um, about how this $1,500 fine is not an adequate representation of the value of the victim's life. It's a it's a it's a problem. This is a problem. The, the fact that this is continuously a discourse is a problem, is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's a problem that we don't have uh, a way to basically explain to people where this is coming up um, and, and how this is unfolding in law. Um, it's a problem that it undermines confidence in the justice system when people look at it and say it's so disproportionate. Um, and I, I think the provincial government's attempt to deal with this has not, is not going to, to assist this problem of what is really a problem of perception more than anything. So this sentence is not out of line. This sentence is not 
No, and, and for the for the listeners, we should say what the facts were. Sure. So the facts in this case were, and it was an agreed statement of facts, so Crown and Defense both jointly agreeing that this was meant to be a um, a fine to represent the conduct that was at issue. And that conduct was that this bus driver, he was driving the minibus going from like the ferry park and ride down by the Tawasson Ferry Terminal. And he was headed northbound on Salish Sea Drive and he gets to the intersection of Hawk Lane. So he's not at the highway yet. And he has to make a left turn. And he sees Mr. Starko with a group. They're riding. They're all southbound um, riders, single file. The light is green. And he, so um, the the driver is going northbound and Mr. Starko is going southbound. So both of them are facing a green light. But the driver wants to turn left. He thinks... He has enough time to make the left turn before the cyclists reach the intersection. He just miscalculates the speed of a bicycle. It's so hard. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that. Finish the facts. And uh, crashed in, into the um, the cyclist crashed into the passenger side of the bus and died pretty much instantly. So we, Kyla and I, have read a lot of. Um, research on estimating speeds. Um, yep. Speed estimation is a difficult thing for people to do. And the the, uh, the estimates that are done are not done um, for the purpose that we want. They're actually done for this particular purpose, which is people estimating how much time they have for a vehicle approaching when yep. making a left-hand turn. Our concern with it and the reason that we've researched it is because police officers make speed estimates when they're doing speed enforcement. But one of the things that uh, is pretty consistent in the literature is that we all struggle with speed estimation um, as you uh, on, on one side or the other, basically, of about the age 32, you're sort of are, are losing yeah, your capacity. It. So when you're young, when you're a teenager, when you're a child, you're really bad at speed estimation. By the time you've been driving for about five years, you're pretty good at speed estimation. Um, when you hit your early 30s, you're probably at your best for speed estimation. By the time you hit 40, you're on the decline. Yeah. And it's really hard to estimate the speed of certain mm -hmm. things, smaller things, people on bikes, people on motorcycles where you've only got one headlight. Yeah. Um, and it, headlights generally. And headlights generally. And if you've got a vehicle at night in particular with one headlight, you have n nothing to be able to to really show you the speed of it and there's very little to gather from it so it's hard and this was a 73 year old driver yeah generally safe driver yeah. uh making a left-hand turn dealing with a cyclist coming at him and and misjudges and it's just a, a, a mistake a bad judgment call so how do you you know what is the appropriate sentence that poor person is going to spend the rest of their life suffering as a result of this and you're not sentencing when a court sentence somebody they're not sentencing them for the horrible impacts that this the incident has caused like for example the family members had had read in victim impact statements describing just real trauma that that flowed from this incident but you're not being sentenced for causing the trauma you're not being sentenced for for how much this person added value to other people or to society um, or what their worth was, you're sentencing them for their moral blameworthiness. 
Yeah, and the moral blameworthiness is an unsafe left hand turn. Yeah, it's it's really what it is. It's a mistake that anybody with a driver's license could make. And 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 many of us who drive have made a left hand turn at one point that they were thought, oh my gosh, I've made some dicey left. Yeah, the dicey left. Um, and uh, sometimes a pedestrian that's got to jump out of the way for you while you're turning left, or you got to beep your horn or something when you realize that something that you didn't anticipate is happening as you start your left, and you got to. You're committed. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, which we discussed last week, um, you know, left-hand turns are are one of the most dangerous things that we do. And of course, on the road. Um, anyway, so- dip- While we're talking about the dicey left, maybe we should talk about the dicey right. Okay, go ahead. And by that, I mean- The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Week, the Week, the Week, the Week. The reviews are in. This book has been a lifesaver. If you haven't bought a copy yet, I can't recommend it enough. Thanks to the pinpoint method, I feel like I now have concrete strategies I can employ for difficult situations. Published by LexisNexis, cross-examination the pinpoint method is an essential addition to your bookshelf. Order now. The ridiculous driver of the week is a f- is a one. I freaking love this guy. He's so stupid. So, well, go ahead. All right. Well, this is a video. You have to find this on uh, on YouTube because it is worth watching the whole thing to get the real picture. Um, search on YouTube highwaymen extortion tactics and it will come up. Um, and it's a video out of the Fraser Valley. It's a police officer who's pulled a guy over because he does not have a driver's license or insurance for his vehicle. And the man is filming. He's on the phone with somebody in the background, so you can hear him sort of like narrating, but he's he's talking, telling the story to his friend on the phone, but also talking at the RCMP officers, who he's essentially saying completely nonsensical things like that he had not entered into a contract with uh, the BC government or ICDC or the RCMP, and that they are giving him a... You're trying to enforce a contract on Yeah, it's like a, an instrument of, of, it's so weird. I don't consent to this. Yes, okay. You don't have to consent. Your consent is not necessary, so. No. And they are. Kudos to the RCMP in this video, because they are so patient. The officers are pretty, uh, handle it very well. Yeah. Um, I was thinking that we should give tips to police officers on handling these guys. Watch but, the video. Uh, you watch the video. And, and actually, as you watch the video, you realize that, um, that the officers have all been trained because we know this happens. We see this, you know, Kyla and I have talked about it before. We talked about the case out of, out of, uh, out of, uh, up in, uh, Prince George or Prince Rupert, whatever it was, and Smithers Terrace, I'm not sure. Um, the, um. Uh, we've talked about uh, seeing this in court. Of course, we've been in court, and justices in traffic court are very often the first ones who have to judicial eye roll <laughs> that who have to deal with it. And uh, people making these uh, quasi legal bullshit. Um, yeah, what do they call sovereign pseudo 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 legal claptrap? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so the officers there, I mean, are sitting there thinking, you know. But I, there really is one answer, and that is you can take it up with a judge if you like. You don't have oh, to consent. Oh, they don't believe in judges, people. Yeah, you don't have to consent. <laughs> uh, and that's it. And don't even talk to them. Don't answer. Don't respond. Um, just go through your job. Get out of the vehicle, please. You know, stand over there. You know, give me your keys. 
Yeah. If you want to get anything out of your vehicle, now's the time to do it. So if you came to the Driving Law Podcast to find out whether uh, pseudo-legal psychobabble is going to get you out of your traffic ticket, you can uh, rest assured that the answer is unequivocally no. And the only thing you will do is piss off a judge. Yep. And uh, this person's certainly deserving of the ridiculous driver of the weeks. Um, um And this is a, a true British Columbia one. It doesn't, you don't have to go to Florida this time. Um, you were on Global for this yesterday, and uh, your Global interview got a lot of great heat. <laughs> I love the, the responses to the tweets um, of your eye rolls. Yeah, they, and, they, and, they made me watch the video and react to it. I, I did not hold back my true feelings. <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, you know, I get that uh, some people are, you know, misunderstand the process and they're frustrated with the court. Yeah. I, you know, I'm always looking to try and understand these people. Um, it's uh, I've been monitoring this since the start of my career, the sovereign citizen movement. It started off with... Uh, with men who were trying to figure out some way out of paying their child support uh, and were upset about the government stepping into the realm of enforcing child support various different ways, including through licensing. Um, and uh, there's been some, you know, there, there, I guess there's always those people who uh, who publish this nonsense on the internet and, and uh, try to expound on it. And I can see that people are frustrated, not understanding the circumstances. Yes, we are perpetually more regulated. We are perpetually more, uh, it's a more bureaucratic society. Go back to Max Weber, uh, the uh, sociologist and social commentator from the uh, 19th century. And you can, you can read all about it. 20th century? I don't know, 19th century. Anyway. Okay, uh, getting into 19th century history. But and... sociology, but the point is, this is the society you live in. You could go live in the woods and not have any, uh, uh, and, and just try and survive with an ax. Yeah. Um, if you live in society, you got to accept the fact that you got to pay taxes, uh, to use the roads and you got to abide by the rules. And if you don't abide by the rules, you're punished. Yep. And if you don't like it too freaking bad. Yeah. <laughs> you can't opt out. There's no opt out. Yeah. Sorry. You can't consent and you can't opt out. Uh, and that's our podcast. <laughs> if you have a driving law-related question that is not related to organized pseudo-legal psychobabble arguments, please give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. Driving Law.